0: Hello and welcome back to Control-Alt-Delete. This is a replay of an old episode with Bruce Daisley back in 2018, recorded in a meeting room at Twitter's head offices in London. I've known Bruce for years and he is one of the most respected thought leaders on the subject of workplace culture and the future of work, And at the time of recording, he had just written his first book called The Joy of Work, 30 Ways to Fix Your Work Culture and Fall in Love with Your Job Again. I love the book. It's full of really practical tips and we talk about it in the episode. Bruce also has a brilliant newsletter called Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat, which I highly recommend. Hope you enjoy re-listening to this and here is the conversation with Bruce. Welcome, Bruce Daisley, to my podcast. Hello. I'm so excited to have you on. I've wanted to have you on for years, literally since I first launched it. But we, you know, we're waiting for the book to come out so that you're starting to plug. Yeah, that's why I wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, we, I've known you for ages and you've been really helpful to me throughout my career. I think
1: I verified you. I think back in the day, um, I think back like when you, uh, I don't know what job you were doing then. I think you were working in an ad agency or something and you were doing Girl Lost in City. Yeah. And you were doing an occasional column for The Telegraph um, or the, you know, like posting for The Telegraph. And I think you contacted me saying, I'd love to get verified. And I think I just started chatting to you from there really. Oh, I'm
0: sorry about that, because in your bio, it says, like, I don't verify people. It doesn't say that anymore. That act of (laughs) passive aggression has been removed. (laughs) Because of people like me. (laughs) Um, But now you're my fellow podcaster as well in the business Mm. charts. So I wanted to ask you, because I don't know if I know whether the podcast came first and then the book or the book and then you started the podcast. Yeah, you know what happened
1: was, um, so the the podcast is about sort of making work better, sort of uh, work culture thing. And it was largely because... I started doing it a couple of years ago, and um, and I thought I'm going to do six of these, and I was doing six of them because you know I, we've all had jobs that are good and jobs that are really bad, and and there's like this weird chemistry you can have a company that's bad but you love your colleagues or you can have you know a company that's great but your colleagues are zombies and like there's this weird dynamic and i was very fortunate that when i used to work at youtube people used to say about my team at youtube wow that's the best team here like they used to say best team at google and then i came to twitter and i was very fortunate that people used to come to the london office and say You know what it's buzzing in that office it's sort of really good and i decided therefore as sort of an act of vanity that it was my it was my fault that those those teams were so good and then a couple of years ago it got really tough here here at twitter and um and i just thought it was clearly nothing to do with me that it was good and so i started looking into what makes good working environments and what I realised was, there's loads of people who do research. These people's job is professors mm. of of working out what's good at work, and no one who has a job. You know, when you were back in sort of Grazia, or when you were working at the debrief, no one told you that there was science on what made a good, a good team or a good company. So I was just blown away by that. So I started doing the podcast. I thought, "I'm only going to do six of them." And it was entirely for that reason, to try and understand what people who studied work
0: knew about work. Because the catchphrase of Twitter, I've actually forgotten it now, but it's in here, obviously. Do what you love. Uh, love what you do.
1: Oh, right. No, so so that, um, love where you work.
0: Love where you work, So yeah. that
1: was weirdly um, this thing that sort of developed organically. Well, not so much a catchphrase as we had... I'll tell you the whole story. So, you know, when I joined Twitter in the UK, there was like a dozen of us, really small. We we're in a tiny little serviced office. And we um we was everyone was doing everything. There was no sort of room for for any vanity. And we hired a, a sort of hardworking, diligent, brilliant uh Kiwi woman called Lucy, Lucy Mosley. And she came here. Um, and about 12 months after she'd been here, she really unfortunately uh got ill and um and it it was one of those things where she got cancer she she actually she didn't know what was wrong with her but she um she 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 was like she she felt there was something in her her stomach she she -hmm. couldn't she was doing like 100 200 sit-ups she couldn't get rid of it and then she went away one day and and she she found that a cyst had been in there and it had burst and uh, one thing or another, she she developed. She had terminal. She she discovered very abruptly. She had terminal cancer with like weeks to live, uh, and it was it, it immensely um, it was immensely difficult because her partner felt that she was being overwhelmed by the messages that were coming in. You know, it's mm-hmm. like you you hear something's bad, you try and phone someone, you try and text them, or you know, a lot of people here tweet. And he said, "Look, can you stop messaging her?" So we had this. Really sad situation where someone we loved, you know, like in a really small intimate office, you know, mm-hmm. you know someone better than your family in, in yeah. some ways. Uh, someone we loved had uh, got really ill and we had no way to send messages. In addition, the, the hospice that she was now on said no sugar, no flowers. So someone suggested that we knit a blanket. And uh, t- to this day, actually, I've got knitting needles and wool at home because I found it was a good way to stop me playing with my phone. Mm. But we all knitted this blanket that was like this. Uh, it was full of love. Let's describe it that way. It was like uh, it was very characterful, characterful, but we knitted this blanket and then we sent her that we had it dry clean and we sent it over to her and uh, she sent a tweet which was sort of uh, sitting there with my Twitter blanket and she hashtagged it, love where you work. So it was just an organic thing. And so, you know, if anyone comes to the Twitter office now, there's a big sign saying love where you work. It's like the first thing you see, really. Yeah, yeah. And it's an interesting thing, actually, because a lot of people sometimes come and think, is the company instructing people to love where they work? And no, and far from it, you know, it was like this, oh we'll bring a bit of her with us. Yeah. So that's why we put the sign there.
0: Wow, I had no idea that's where yeah. it came from. Yeah, that's because...
1: what happened. But now people from other offices came and they'd hear that story. Yeah. And they'd say, Do you mind if we put a love where you work sign up? That's sort of lovely. this it's little like movement. movement. Every office you go to has got this sign. And if you ever click on hashtag lovewhereyouwork, you'll almost, you know. Almost the whole hashtag is people at Twitter, and they're often just doing silly things, right? Someone's made you a cup of tea, and someone will have will have tweeted love where you work. You know, yeah. they're often just all people will have. You know, run the London Marathon, and and they'll have done it for for mm-hmm. a charity, and so so it's it's things like that. It's just become like um, it's become an organic catchphrase yeah. rather than something we we ever you intended didn't to
0: do. Sit down and brainstorm about yeah. that. That's such a wow, because I I guess. Having that as well, though, I I wondered whether it added a pressure to when things do did go a bit bad. It's almost like, you know what a good workplace looks like. You've had those moments where you think, oh my God, we are all smashing it. And yeah, I just wondered whether it felt like there was a an added layer of, oh, this is you know, we need to fix this. Exactly right. Exactly
1: that. You know, I'm convinced that the people who create the culture in their company aren't the bosses. They're like everyone doing the work day to day. You know, it's like you can go and share a glass of wine at the end of the day and moan about the boss, but actually think I love working with these people, right? And and I would work harder for these people. But because um, we'd had a really good, amazing sort of familial culture here exactly as you say you know when things aren't right it's you feel even though you don't feel responsible when things are good you feel responsible when things are bad and mm-hmm. so i was just interested you know I, I think in truth most people in work are they would probably admit they're more exhausted than they would like to be they're they don't feel like they're giving their best ideas they feel you know that then leads to a bit of imposter syndrome where you're feeling like You want to go into that idea session and give a really smart, zingy idea and you feel like you're sort of giving something that's a bit flat. And I think everyone in work's like that, just because the way that work has become the last few years. It's
0: relentless. It's relentless. With um, that in mind, also the book being the joy of work and the fact that it's, I love that it's 30 ways to fix work culture and fall in love with your job again. The fact that it's 30 ways, it's really nice, really kind of digestible and you can read it and dip in and out. I wondered whether um, with the love where you work, where do you think is the kind of balance of not going too far into you must love your work every day? Because I think I've got a pretty cool job. I don't love my job every day. And I just wondered how do you find balancing the hard stuff with feeling like you love your work.
1: Yeah. I think you mentioned it in your book, you know, that woman, Miss Sue, I, I don't Oh, know. And, yes. At the uh, Atlantic, maybe? Yeah. And and she, it's really bad that I can't remember her I name. I can't remember her name uh, either. But she I'll put it in the uh, that, that thing that Steve Jobs used to say about you got to love what you do is an unreasonable expectation on people because...
0: <laughs> and you quote that in the yeah, intro, yeah. Yeah,
1: because it's unreasonable. Because, you know, most of us, if you're going to work as you know, accounts payable somewhere, then I I don't think you would ever have said, this was my calling in life and I'm going to love what I, I do. It's very easy, Survivor's Bias, it's very easy mm. for Steve Jobs to say, you go love what you do and that's why he's a billionaire f- phone inventor. Whereas actually most people are never going to be in the situation where they say, I truly love what I do, but they might get some satisfaction from it some some reward from it and also the danger of love what you do is that it creates a very unreasonable demand upon you because you know mm-hmm. because people can exploit you right they'll say well if you loved what you did you do it for free if you love what you do you wouldn't want to pay rise yeah. you know there's other people who want this job so it creates an unreasonable expectation and there's
0: all the manual labor and you've got to have a massive smile on your face yeah why can't you just do the work yeah
1: Yeah, and that's it. So the reason why there's like thirty chapters, I'm convinced people don't read books, and so you know they don't finish them. How many books have I got that we're dipped into? And so I thought if I make the thirty things, and if all that someone does is rips out one chapter, photocopies it, and gives it to their team, but it's been like a successful intervention that they've tried Mm. something out, then that's what I'm convinced. I'm convinced that you change work culture by a passionate person with evidence and a motivation arm people with facts and they can improve things but um but at the moment you've got a situation where you know things like i think one of the worst things that happens in work culture is bosses emailing at the weekends mm. or you know or just like the the burden of of meetings that most people have got like this overwhelming you know sense of 20 or 15 or 20 hours a week of meetings, which are like these horrible, almost hostage-like situations. And I think when you find a little bit of evidence that, okay, that um, sort of meetings aren't necessarily productive or that these things aren't necessarily helping us out. I think, you know, when you identify that and you find a bit of evidence for it, I think by arming someone with a bit of that evidence, they might be able to change their work culture.
0: Yeah, because you kind of got like a too-long-didn't-read it yeah. at, the, at the end of each yeah. section, which I love, which is like things you can do next. Because when I read this, I thought, oh, I could have done with this book a while ago when I hated my job. But also, I think a lot of people are looking for those just really practical things like the fact that, you know, what you just said about halving meetings and also no phones in meetings. It's like that two things that I reckon people could go and do tomorrow that would, would f- fix some, some problems.
1: Yeah. And, uh, you know, for me, these... It was so interesting to look at the science of some of these things. So the thing that I love the most about the science of it was the, um, the power of laughter. And you know what, especially when you're in a stressful environment, you know, especially if there's, if there's a bit of a douche of a boss and you you feel embarrassed laughing at your desk or you feel embarrassed sharing a moment of, of laughter, because especially if... The numbers for the company aren't right or things yeah. aren't going well you feel like you know it invites that catty response catty response is the toxin of work mm. but it invites that catty response have you got anything to do you guys not busy the idea that you've got to sort of sit somberly at your desk all day and uh for me finding out that the science of laughter is it makes us more creative it makes it improves teamwork it sort of makes us it yeah. makes us more willing to just contribute more than we would have done otherwise.
0: So I have I have a question about kind of this um, thing about work culture, but also about flexibility and also the, this idea of having some sort of balance. I got an out of office the other day from someone being like, you know, our company is flexible, so I'm actually not working today. And it was like, it was lovely out of office kind of explaining the culture. But I thought, what happens if you have a lot to get through like can the intern act the same as the ceo is that possible because i remember what it was like being junior and you can't just like take the afternoon off
1: and it's exactly right so you know what (laughs) one of the best examples of that people often say about sort of any of these things they say you know so one of the best things i say for people to do is turn notifications off on their phone email especially if you can only turn one thing off email notifications but a lot of people say as a result of that they say you don't know my boss Mm. or you don't know my clients often comes back. You don't know the people I deal with. If I didn't respond to them, they would think I'm useless. And, you know, I think one of the things that I found is the reason why I'm convinced that you change culture with evidence and discussion rather than, you know, unilateral action. Mm. So I think you change culture by there's some brilliant stats about burnout and creativity. So, you know, one of the critical things is... In the next 15 years, as computers take more of our jobs, the most important parts of our job is going to be the bits where we're doing something creative, mm-hmm. where creativity isn't, you know, writing a Pixar movie, but it's more, you know, you're responsible for packaging in your firm and you think of a new way to do it, right? Like it's just really mundane creativity, but the creativity is going to be the most important part. And if you look at the science, people who are stressed cannot be creative. It's almost like this direct uh, kill switch. It sort of stops your creativity. And so as a result of that, you know, anything that's causing stress amongst people is clearly a bad thing. Now, Mm. weekend emails are one of the things that causes stress. And if your boss knew that emailing you on a Sunday was damaging your ability to be creative, then maybe this this evil boss might think twice about doing it. Because normally when you chat to bosses – They say, oh, I didn't know. I was just emailing. I didn't know I was doing any harm. And so for me, you know, the book is specific. Bosses don't read books like this. The book is specifically aimed at people who are in their workplace thinking, uh, you know, this is broken. This doesn't Mm -hmm. work. This is what's going on here is crazy. And they just think, let's try and change one or two things. So I completely agree with Mm you. You know, if you're the intern, it's very difficult to tell the boss Hey, just do you want to go easy on the Saturday emails? But <laughs> somehow, well, at least
0: put like for Monday in yeah, the subject, yeah. which I do because I email on weekends, bit, but I'm like, don't read till Monday. I mean, and <laughs> I, I know that that's probably thinking about that now, they're going to read it. Yeah. But the fact is, they don't to, have to
1: reply. Mine just go into drafts. And so, you know, there's this like a tsunami of of Gmail on a Monday morning. Yeah. at like seven o'clock. The moment I'm eating my Otibix on a Monday morning.
0: <laughs> this might be, sound a little bit contradictory, but for a company like Twitter, though, or YouTube or Google or any tech company, I find the idea of weekends quite outdated because, I mean, I, I got an email from iTunes the other day being like, hi, guys, we're going to be out of the office for Christmas. This is like the team at iTunes being right. like, so any updates on iTunes might be a bit delayed. And I'm thinking that's a bit weird that you guys don't have any, anything like covered for like weekends or for christmas breaks i mean they do at weekends but it's but isn't isn't the company always on look but the the
1: challenge is this as soon as you, you know let's look at you know the the uh in 2018 elon musk as the poster boy for overwork i think had a pretty bad year uh, you know, he was most recently in like just at the, the end of last year in December. He was he was on video crying about his, his tweets. And then before that, he tweeted that, you know, nothing was ever achieved on a 40 hour week. And like he's, he's very avowedly said, you've got to work 80 to 120 hours. Now, sounds I'll, like
0: Gary Vaynerchuk. As right. Well. Like right. It, it's like this relentless hustle always thing on, that scares always me. Always
1: on. What you find is in those people that, that, um, i mean half of all people who check emails outside of work hours show the highest recordable levels of stress mm-hmm. so stress is everywhere it's just that they're, they're the people who are most vividly experiencing it but it affects your um it affects your it inflames your your nervous system it it creates actual illness through overwork so you, you see all these things it like, strongly damages you and i think Actually, the secret of work is this. Unlike the iPhone, no one's going to unveil the new version of work. It's not like you're going to oh you're upgrading to new. And that's never going to happen. You
0: kind of have with your manifesto, but, but you, do you know what I mean? Like there's lots of little yeah. changes.
1: So you know, some of them are so trivial. Taking a lunch break. When you say to people, you'll feel so much happier at weekends, and you and your sleep will be better from taking a lunch break people think oh it's it's a bit trivial but people who do it go you know what i do feel better for taking three lunch breaks mm-hmm. that week and you know to try and get some balance into what they're doing and yeah. or just try and do stuff with their with the, the time that they're given they feel more refreshed from it um but yeah i hear you that there is an expectation now to for people to be contactable and connectable but I think that expectation, we should try and own it as much mm. as we can. There was a brilliant thing I saw that, um, you know, like a lot of people, uh, management consultants say they need to be contactable all the time. And so mm. a a brilliant scientist went in and said to them, I want you to have one night a week where you don't look at email. And for them, this was like a very big change. They they didn't want to go through it. And she said, one night a week, and I want you to be in a team. So So you can all cover each other. But, you know, if your night off is Tuesday, I want you to have Tuesday night off. What you found was all of them said at the end of it, I feel so much happier by just giving myself the headspace of not doing it. But it also led to more cooperation between them in the team. So people who'd maybe not discussed that they had, you know, theatre tickets that night with each other or that they had some big thing with their partner that night said guys i can't do wednesday can i ha- can, can that be my night off and it led to more cooperation mm. between them so i do hear you that we have got an expectation that people are going to be contactable more of the time but i think for our, you know we can't on the one hand talk about the importance of mental health and on the other hand say we want to be connected yes 180 hours a week
0: I think it's more for me Like the traditions of the weekend And the weekday I I understand that like We need a break And we need weekends We need time off God we do But I also feel like The way the future of work is going I actually think that People might have more Four day weeks And three day weekends Or if you're a contractor Maybe you are working on a Sunday But you're not working on a Tuesday I feel like everything's Kind of up for grabs At the moment Like we could like Look at these seven days And we could do what we want with them
1: I completely agree. So if if the thing that you're doing you know as you've so clearly said if you're living a multi hyphen life and like you're trying to redefine who you are as a person in the 3 days that you're you're not in your day job then clearly you've got email at those times. Mm. It can't be like you just you sort of you, you create all these emails that suddenly then go out of the airlock 2 days 3 days later. What I'm saying though is that the if we're going to make ourselves happier then thinking about the importance of rest as much as the importance of work is probably a balance to get back to. Quite often there's an illusion, especially when you're early in your career, you think I'm going to work a bit longer because I'll get promoted quicker. And what you find when anyone does research into working weeks, they find that the most that anyone can productively work is about 50, well, 50 hours really there is an amount you can go up from 50 to 55 but let's say but the amount that you're adding for those extra 5 hours is so tiny. Mm-hmm. so the moment you accept 50 hours is all that your brain really can work mm-hmm. then you start saying but could I do a fresh 40 hours a week and then prioritise my relaxation it's why I the, the organisation Slack you know the, the, oh I love the, Slack but Slack say do a good day's work and go home so their office has no table football, no things to keep you there.
0: Oh, love that. No evenings. I hate perks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, stop making me go on your weird like work holidays. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but you know <laughs> but those um they go go out go at home and they actually celebrate people having side hustles. Mm. So people who make make things in their spare time or who do things because they think actually it makes a richer and more rounded person
0: well slack has totally changed the way i work i've never like i used to whatsapp with my team now we're on slack and then you do the little snooze thing doesn't even go through or or they don't get alerted Sorry if this puts you on the spot a bit, but you are really good at getting a lot done and, and using your time well. But you you are like the managing director of Europe, Twitter. Yeah. And you've got a book coming out in January yeah. and you've got a successful podcast. People ask me this all the time. So that's why I'm like, it's an annoying question. But how have you done that? Do you think you just, sometimes you have like really busy months and then you know that you're going to have a quieter month?
1: So my work is my work. And so, you know, I I, I don't really allow... The side project, which is my obsession with work, to interfere mm. with my actual. Even day though job. it
0: all helps, like it does, altogether. absolutely.
1: But you know, like um, there's certain things that are non-negotiable: meetings and calls and things with colleagues, and like they they always take top priority. You know, quite often though, if I'm on a flight somewhere, somewhere someone will turn to me. Someone turned to me last year and said, What are you reading? And I was reading like a forty-two page scientific paper about the banking the working hours in the banking industry. He just Boy. shook his head and put a movie on. <laughs> so So um so but it's it's become it's become a real passion point I tell you I did this like little manifesto and the, the idea of the manifesto
0: oh yeah what's what's it called to so people new work Google
1: manifesto it. and the idea of the manifesto was I wonder if these eight changes that people could do back to that idea of the new version of work won't be unveiled uh, the the eight changes that work can do that could maybe improve the working environment and the really interesting thing—I got contacted by police forces, health service workers, teachers, you know, office workers—and uh, same, we've we've implemented this. We're trying to get out. We really love this one. And you know, as I always say, these things are really mundane. It's turn your notifications off. It's try and work no more no more than forty hours. Take mm-hmm. a lunch break. You know, don't email at the weekends. They're really sort of trivial things, but each of them is backed up. Quite often with a TED talk or with a just an article to share, and and the thinking was, I want to empower a movement of people who who long term won't even know this manifesto existed, but they say, oh, round here we do this, mm. you know, empower change. And the book was the same, really. It it felt like from my own firsthand experience, I was exhausted by work, and I could see people around me were exhausted. So it felt a bit like. I can't believe it that there's all this science over there, and no one is bringing this science over to people in work, and so that's why I'm very much of the opinion if people only read one chapter, and and sort of pass that round, and that becomes no one even knows where it came from, but that becomes what they do in their in their company. Then for me, like gradually, will will make work better for people. Mm. There's some really sad things when you look at the stats about work. You know, one of the stats about UK workers is that only 8% of UK workers are engaged with their job. God, yeah. It's how depressing. But the one that breaks my
0: heart... And Londoners hate their right, jobs.
1: You know, worst, worst commute in Europe, 75-minute commute, the average Londoner, then you're coming to a job. But the, the stat that breaks my heart is 60% of British workers say they're lonely at work. Mm. Right. I mean, this is where we're spending all of our days and nights and, worse, destined for retirement where we're lonely as well. Like... Life isn't meant to be lonely, and so that's you know the interesting thing for me is can people? There's someone I know, a close a close um, uh, family connection to mine, who says that at their job people cry in the toilets at lunchtime, mm-hmm. and 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 it makes me it makes me heartbroken when I think about things like that because there's not a big jump from people having these jobs that are sad to having jobs that might still not be the most glamorous job in the world, but are just a bit more uh, rewarding yeah. and enriching, really.
0: I feel like this is really urgent. I think that loads of companies could save themselves if they fix the culture a bit. Because I actually, I know that I you know, quit my job and followed my dreams type of thing, but... I only did that because I felt like work wasn't working. Yeah. And actually, I wanted, I actually wanted to be in an office job I liked. Like, that was the goal, and the goal didn't work. So it's almost like to retain talent, I think yeah. this is really, really important. Well, do you People are going to leave.
1: When you went from debrief to glamour, and you were like, you, I think you were doing four day a week, weren't you? And but you wanted to make it work, yeah. You wanted to make this sort of the office thing work. When an, so. when
0: an office environment works, I think it's the it's the best. Yeah, you get to hang out with people you like. You get to, you know, have all have almost like a second home. Yeah, and that's lovely. Like there are definitely downsides of working for yourself. You don't have any. You don't have anywhere to really go. Yeah, I mean, I know we work is obviously on the rise, and 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 that's sort of a like it's like a, an office that I guess you can dip in and yeah. out of but it's not really the same there's
1: this magical thing that I discovered when I was researching exactly about that there's this weird thing about being around people that creates like this dark matter of work and so the the, the best examples you see in choirs if you put strangers in a choir and get them to sing together they can uh, their pleasure hormones go up and the way that scientists measure that they, they measure it by inflicting pain upon people seems pretty mean but they like they put these sort of arm cuffs around people inflict them and see how much pain they can take but people who sing together, even strangers who sing together in a choir their their pleasure hormones Mm. go up then you get people to row alongside each other so these are professional, they're sort of college rowers and you get them to row individually or you get them to row so they have to be in time with each other the ones who are in time with each other, in sync, in this sort of human sync with each other, are able to take twice the pain of the other ones. So you get people to dance together and they show exactly the same. So there's this weird thing that when we're sort of, we we have this connection to other human beings, something's created. And you see loads of it, um, couples who, so sync can be activated by talking, it can be activated by laughing, it can be activated by doing those physical things. But you see it with couples, so couples who have a long distance relationships, the couples who, uh, scientists looked at 4,000 couples, the couples who survive, their relationships survive, the ones that phone each other every day and talk about boring things. So there might be nothing to talk about. What have you done today? Well, just went to work. Nothing, nothing to talk about. But it's the ones who like had that human sync were the ones that stayed together. It's and really interesting. Yeah. It really, and so one of the most powerful ways to activate it is face-to-face chat or laughter. And so what you find is some of the really successful companies, and this is like an example of why you don't need power to change a company. Um, I went to meet this uh, company where the receptionist had introduced Crisp Thursday. I mean, it's t- it's almost too ridiculous almost to tell you about. And she said, we had a new boss arrive and we were kind of embarrassed to tell the new boss <laughs> about Crisp Thursday. On Thursday <laughs> at 4.30, she would like, they were fortunate their office was just one long room and there was a table down the middle. On 4 th- th- 4.30, one Thursday, she said it's Crisp Thursday. And there laid out on plates were a few kettle <laughs> chips, a few Pringles. Aww, right. That's sweet. it. That's it. She the the woman who told me about it, Cla- Claudia uh, Newman. She told me, uh, she told me it's become a ritual there because what happens is at four thirty on Thursday, good time for it actually as well. People sort of know that they're going to get a handful of Pringles and oh, I need some to interaction. Chat, I need to chat to Emma actually. Oh Emma, you're going to be at Christmas Thursday. <laughs> just need a quick chat. It's not a meeting because you know the thing about meetings is they. School- and you don't
0: have to spend loads of money. Just you know, get some crisps.
1: And, uh, you know, meetings become this half an hour thing where someone's prepared slides. That's not (laughs) what I wanted. I just wanted a quick chat with Emma about what she's (gasps) doing about that project. And so weirdly, you know, back to like the sync thing that, you know, okay, we can find the magic of sync is when people are rowing or dancing or singing, but you can actually get that sync from really silly little things. And Claudia said to me, it's one of the best things about our culture. People see it's, as, you know, it's like a family tradition a bit. It's like this weird thing where... Can't explain why it's so good, but it makes everyone here so happy. People, people send emails saying what's happening at Crisp Thursday. Right,
0: it's like one of those things where you are like, I could do that. Yeah, that's right. Anyone do. can do that, right? Yeah.
1: And she said, and as a result, one week she came, the receptionist came dressed up in a Pringle tube.
0: <laughs> like, just <laughs> it's escalated. <right>. Exactly. <laughs> but with um, with the leadership, kind of, I think it still does matter. Like. That people set an example at the top, which you do, which is yeah. great, so I think that someone along the line does tell you to be powerful, you kind of need to be a bit mean right i've I was definitely told that like don't be too nice, I don't know if it's diff- I don't know if I was told different things to get ahead or whatever, but you're not scary, I mean, I don't work with you every day, so I don't actually know, but it seems like that's not important when you're changing work culture either like do you think people in power need to kind of chill out a bit?
1: Yeah. I mean, look, you know, I think a lot of us in work have serious face, right? You know, if the best example I always think of this is that, you know, we all bring a mask to work. We all sort of put on a, and the best example I always think is I ask people, did your mum have a phone voice? And I don't know about your mum, but my mum, when she answered the phone, because like she answered the phone at work and she was a receptionist at work. So when she answered the phone at home, she became at least three postcodes posher than we actually yes. were. And it's because at work we feel like we need to be like a better version of ourselves. Probably doesn't laugh as much, probably a bit more serious, a little bit full octaves posher than we currently are. And that's it because we put on a mask at work. And and I think bosses are especially guilty of that. Bosses think, okay, I need to be in boss mode now. I need to be like serious mode, and it's definitely the at the enemy at the expense. It's the enemy of creativity. So w- what you find is when um, when people can't. The jargon is when people can't bring their full selves to work. What happens is when you're in a creative idea session, you don't say the idea that's coming to your mind. Mm. You say the idea that you think people will like. And so it tends to be that you end up with really bad ideas, really boring ideas that, you know, it's no wonder that committees produce rubbish things because no one's bringing their clever, inventive Mm. best parts to themselves.
0: So there's a big part of a changing work culture is allowing people to be themselves
1: yeah the other thing i'll say about creativity is that you know the average person worldwide gets 140 emails a day and uh and so like the volume of emails and the volume of responsibility and then you add meetings on top there's no time to get anything done you and you'll know like we all find ourselves swiping away emails and just trying to to get on top of things every moment of the day when you look at how creativity happens creativity normally sits I sort of looked into the neuroscience of this, so none of it's, this is my own work. But there's sort of three broad systems that scientists most use. The executive attention network, which is like your main, what you're doing right now, what you're focusing on. The salience network, which is sort of checking on out what's going on around you. So some scientists say that's like running simulations, what you think is going to happen. And then there's the default network. And the default network is sort of, what's going on in the background so the best way that we feel the default network is when we're sort of daydreaming and when we're not thinking anything right. well what's disappeared in the last few years daydreaming right because the moment we're bored even you know you get in the lift you get your phone out you know you're in a queue for something you get your phone out the default network has been squeezed out but if you look at creative people they're often been really clever at finding a way to trigger their default network so you like i bet you like
0: i mean i've got i have i've had the three ideas for my books like the next one that i've come up with every single one of them has been on a flight and i don't want to say like go and book yourself a flight to get an idea because obviously flights are really expensive as well but it, well, it's been periods of time on my phone is on airplane mode yeah. and I'm staring out the window. Isn't that crazy? I mean, so maybe I just need to recreate that more yeah. often. I don't need to be on a flight. Well, the mad
1: thing about that is that daydreaming and that, it's actually really delightful. When when we allow ourselves to abandon ourselves into it, we have to often find good ideas. My favorite example of that is the guy who wrote the social network film and wrote the oh, Western Aaron, Aaron Sorkin. Best ideas the were happening in the shower. Yes.
0: And but he said he had eight showers a day. Eight once. showers a
1: day. He had he's had a shower installed in the corner of his office. And anytime he's sort <laughs> of at a loss of what to do, he does what you are. Like he, the airplane mode of brain. It's like, go and find yourself in a place where you've got no distractions, no interruptions and your brain's Actually, what your brain is doing there, it's connecting a lot of things that you've, lots of seeds you've sown. You know, you've seen something, you've you've seen something on Pinterest, you've read something, someone said something to you, and they're all bouncing around in your head. The two times that they're activated is when you're sleeping and when you're daydreaming. Mm. And exactly what you've discovered there is what those people have discovered. Creativity doesn't come from being perpetually busy. You know, every time put, someone puts a meeting in your diary or so every time you're answering an email, you're actually... Crushing a space where you could be creative.
0: Yeah, so just, I have Mondays now where I, okay. do, I don't do anything. Well, I do, I do, but it's like time to. I mean, how can you have a job about the future of things when you're not even thinking? Yeah. It's kind of it's hard to carve out the time, but it's so so true. And Isn't there's that a. There's mad about a... your airline idea, though? Being on planes, coming up with creative ideas. Yeah, Isn't that every crazy? single one of them wow. has just come to me like a light bulb on a plane. I'm not even really trying that hard. It's just the fact that I'm not doing anything for the first time in ages. Um, But Because there's a bit in here about walking meetings. Yes. That was interesting. Yes. That's what I... Because, and, you know,
1: this is what I say in that, Walking meetings are really awkward. <laughs> if you say I've never the, been on one. If you say to someone, let's go for a walking meeting, and you've picked the wrong person, you'll never do a second walking meeting.
0: So you <laughs> so That's a good strategy right. if you want to get rid of people. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you've got to pick the right person. So like don't waste good ideas on bad people. But the woman who did the research on that, Maria Prezzo at Stanford University, found that 81% of people who went for a walk came up with more ideas. And actually, if you go outside, you come up with even more. That was that was on a treadmill. Mm. And they come up with about two thirds more ideas than the people who don't so really interesting it it stimulates um it stimulates our ability to to have sort of divergent thinking to have so it's not very good if you want to narrow down the options of what you're going to do next year but if you're looking for what those options might be walking's really good for it
0: yes i have a fear that if we don't do these things we're going to be our brains are going to change And I was reading something recently about um, social media addicts. I mean, we're all addicts, probably to a point. But it was about how a few people who had been interviewed they, they they were forgetting to like pay bills. They were forgetting right. to go to the dentist. Like they they were forgetting to really. They were so out of their own human experience and yeah. just in the phone or in the game absolutely that they were forgetting things yeah. and that scares I me because i've done that i've been very forgetful when i've been very busy on my phone
1: yeah well stress kills uh, memory as well so you know if you're in a state of heightened anxiety stress kills your capacity to think yeah. and I know, I know this is sort of almost feels hypocritical that a guy who works at a social media product would say that but i think you know all of us getting a good balance with how we use mm-hmm. all aspects of of technology is, is a really good thing there was a really interesting su- study of Teenagers, and um, it's just been conducted this year, completed this year, a two-year study, and they looked at teenagers who um, never gave them gave themselves any space from distractions, and they found after two years, the ones that had been perpetually entertained and busy had thought less about their lives, had mm-hmm. thought less about you know the world and greater sort of social things. they, they hadn't basically thoughts had, had never fermented. Mm-hmm. They'd They just sat there and then another thought would come along. So I know it feels like all boring and, and whatever, but allowing your brain little breathers and time to do nothing seems to be a really good route to making your brain better.
0: Yeah. Oh, totally. I think you're a really inspiring person who, like in the first page you talk about like some of your first jobs like we've all had jobs we hated, but you talk about like working like the fast food, a fast food place, like all these jobs. And like, I feel like you really have worked really hard and also been very successful, really without much help from the outside world, like you've kind of done, you've yeah. really kind of done this, you know, grafted. How, do you think there's a reason why some people do kind of just navigate and, and get become successful? Do you think it's like people skills? Like, I mean, it's like a hard question, yeah. you analysing yourself. You, you but... know what? I spoke at a school this morning and I always
1: say to the school kids, there's one thing that changed my life. So I grew up in a council estate in Birmingham and, you know, my dad was too ill. Uh, but my dad sort of certainly wasn't able to help me. Um, and uh, and basically the best thing, I went to university, first person in my family to go to university, but very easily could not have gone to university if my French A-level hadn't miraculously <laughs> turned out A-levels. okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, But uh, I spent a year unemployed after I came back from university and I actually, you know, had it gone over a year, I was thinking, if you're a year out of work, that's Mm -hmm. going to be bad. And I drew a four page cartoon CV and that changed my life because I think what I always say to kids is probably at some point you're going to write a CV and probably when you've got to do anything, the first thing you do is you go to Google and then, then you click on the first link and the good news is there's going to be a template there of a CV and you're going to fill that in. And the only problem with that is that's what every other single person has done. And so I drew this cartoon CV and I am uh, I am a f- five out of 10 cartoonist, <laughs> but it had a charm to it. And I used to send it with like a yellow, like your... your uh, um, trademark colour but I, I used to send it with like a, a letter on yellow paper and uh, and it went from I never used to get any replies to anything I sent to I had people phoning me up, people saying come in for work experience you know mm. I got offered a job it was conditional I'm passing my driving test, I failed my driving test uh, but you know that transformed my life because ultimately I got a job at Capital Radio from that and so what I always say to kids is that I receive zero letters in the mail every week. That's slightly a lie. Occasionally, crazy Twitter users write to me. But, you know, legitimate... I I receive no real mail in the post. And so I say to kids... You know, even if you've got a network, don't ask your dad to get your work experience. Write to, what you fancy working at? Snapchat, write to the boss of Snapchat. What do you fancy working at? BBC, write to someone who's the producer of your favourite show at the BBC mm. with a beautiful and, and thoughtful, composed piece of creativity and they'll probably take notice of you.
0: Oh, yeah, because that's what they're looking for. Right, they're just looking, you know, people are
1: not... There's there's a guy who works at Spotify and I saw him tweet yesterday saying no one is out to make you lose, but you've got to give us a reason to make you Mm. want to win.
0: Yeah, It's like that Seth Godin, back to Seth Godin, um, what he says about be remarkable, which means make something that's worth remarking on. So even someone going, oh, have you seen this letter? Yeah. And the best thing about it, just to illustrate why that's exactly right,
1: is that um, (laughs) I turn up for the interview at that job. Uh, the cap- So, I sent it to loads of record companies. The record companies said, look, it's a recession going on. There's no jobs here right now. But I thought, I've got something in this CV. So, I used to change the first square and send it to every job that I liked. So, it looked like I'd done it all for Ooh, them. Oh, clever. Cheating. But anyway, uh, the Capital Radio people, they said, we have to say, you're the one of the worst people we've ever interviewed. But your CV you were cartoon boy, your CV had gone around the office. <laughs> so there were like a hundred people rooting for you. And so when, when they had three jobs, they gave two of them to well-qualified people and they gave one to cartoon boy. And I think that's why it changed my life because I would not have got that job. And so consequently, but you know, illustration as well. I lost one job along the way. I tried the technique for another job a few years later, slightly different. And That went wrong. So, you know, you've got to build into the fact that probably sending it to one person, sending it to Kate Winslet, hoping to be Kate Winslet's assistant, can't (laughs) guarantee success. Send it to 10 people and it might might have a success.
0: Yeah, I feel like there's a real kind of trend at the moment as well for like, tweets going viral when a, yeah. when a letter is sent into someone to yeah that's you know, right. it's funny or it's kind of complaining about something in a funny way but um so your book comes out in january on january the blue monday blue monday the most miserable day of the year the 17th
1: yeah with 21st is blue monday
0: okay blue monday blue monday um what are you looking forward to with the book coming out like what's the main thing are you just looking forward to people yeah. changing i things? mean look you know I'm, I'm sort
1: of quite subversive right i, I like sort of in my in my Capital Radio job I was always the person who enjoyed asking really difficult questions and you know I love the fact that most of us there's a bit of Emperor's New Clothes right about work is so, that you know you're going to a meeting it will be a horrible miserable meeting but you ask people after the meeting what do you think they go good meeting good meeting right no one no one tells the truth about work I just hope it's
0: like a bad haircut right I love it yeah. <laughs>
1: No one tells the truth about work. How's your day been? It's been great. It's been great. You're going home, you're going to finish your bottle of Sauvignon on your own. It's, like, it's not been a great day. It's been a disastrous day. And I just hope, the reason why it's 30 things, like I say, is that maybe just one of them you can like, you can upturn the tables and and change things. So that's all I want. If if one person says to me, you know what? We got rid of our meeting of death from what you said. Oh, we
0: started crisp Thursday. Crisp
1: <laughs> Thursday. Imagine that! If like <laughs> so, all of a sudden there's a run on Doritos from from people taking it up.
0: What's What's your favourite one? Just that. That is my last question. Yeah, I mean, for me, I lo- I love. Um,
1: the science behind laughter, and you know, so consequently, laughter's really in there twice, it's in there once and it's in later on. Or actually I love, there's one big thing if you hear about work culture, people talk about psychological safety, which is a blah, blah, blah way of of saying, will people speak up to the boss? And I, Mm -hmm. I met a guy who was in the special forces, so he won't even let me say what form of the special forces he was in, but he told me, after every day, so they've been out in Helmand province or they've been in Iraq, they all gather at the end of the day, while they're standing up sweating in their kit and they'll say, what happened that day? And he'll lead by saying what he did wrong. Right, And wow. by him, we presume that people in the military never say what went wrong, but he says, you know, I could have done this better. And he says the very fact that he said what he did wrong, it gives access to everyone else to admit what they did wrong. Mm. Whereas normally we're so scared Ugh, to say- blame, with to, blame game. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but yeah, well, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. I don't know who did it. Like, but Whereas, you know, the elite military- there and they know that you don't get to those things easily, so you need to have a system to do it. So their system is standing up and sort of doing this honesty, collective honesty. So I just love that. I love the fact love that, that we we think the idea is the military are orders, and you know everyone, the bosses know what they're doing, and everyone else follows. Not at all. Even in like the elite military, yeah.
0: even in the most structural, yeah, militant environment, yeah. even they can be. And it's courageous, I think, to admit what went wrong.
1: Exactly that. And yeah. as soon as your boss says. Here's what I did wrong. Everyone else can feel like, okay, yeah. it's not disastrous to be wrong.
0: I love that. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for and it's me. really, this book is obviously really well researched, but it's also like a bit of a hug in a book. It's oh, so like gosh. you can do it and be happier at work. Thank you. So, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.